0: Singing. Please have a seat. We want to welcome uh, Northridge and Chapel, uh, Cactus and Venue, and then uh, quite a few of you who I hope and assume are watching online. Amen. Uh, you know, as I've said before, on, on Sundays like this, and we'll make sense of this in just a few minutes. You know, it's a little bit thinner in here. And I don't mean you're thinner. I mean the crowd is thinner, and uh, and so. We're going to talk about that and what we're doing moving forward, so uh, just welcome to all of you. It has uh, been quite, quite a week Uh, trying to respond to COVID-19 is like worse than even a moving target. It just seems to be changing hourly. This weekend was supposed to be my last weekend away for a while. I was going to be up in Prescott with all of our elders uh, taking, I'd call it our annual elder retreat, but we haven't taken a retreat in three years. So it would have been our our first retreat in three years. We've been planning it for months, and we made the decision uh, Friday morning. uh, I made the decision Thursday that I was going to come back early Friday morning and made the decision just to cancel our retreat so that all of the elders could be with you here. And we also had a three hour elder meeting yesterday to talk about, again, this ever changing, uh, you know, response to the virus going on. So I'm gonna call the elders up now. They are are here today at the Shea campus. Uh, many, if not most of them. Yep, you can show your appreciation. And, and I just thought it would be good for the elders to stand. I'm going to introduce a few of them here as we go along. And we're going to take about, about 12 to 14 minutes right now to share with you uh, what we're going to be doing over the next couple of weeks as a church and why. And then we're going to pray. Uh, our President Trump has declared today a National Day of Prayer. And obviously, as Christians, we're going to respond to that. So we're going to pray here in a few minutes uh, for our community and for our church and certainly for you. So, what we want to do right now is share with you our prayerful plan moving forward over the next couple of weeks. Uh, and then, as I said, we'll continue to pray. Uh, one of the first things you guys need to know, and I think you've already sensed this, is that we've been working really hard as a campus, all three of our campuses, to provide the best possible protection. Uh, from this virus to anybody that comes on campus or any of our campuses. Uh, we've been doing heightened cleaning, uh, hand sanitizing, uh, greeting. If you notice, we're using signs, not uh, handshakes. Uh, the bulletins were put out on tables today so that only you would have touched them. Uh, we've paused our formal greetings within the services for now. We're going to be doing communion, still very meaningful, but in a more hygienic way in the coming weeks. Uh, we've been doing what our, our government officials have asked, and that that is to to do social distancing. I actually hate that phrase because it's thoroughly unbiblical so I've been calling it social respect. We've just been showing respect to each other uh, given the fact that this virus is very catchy uh, in, in trying to love each other uh, in, in a more respectful way. Uh, these are common sense measures that you know everybody in culture knows to do and we've been practicing them as a church. However, in light of the ever-changing reality of this virus, the elders met yesterday, as I said, and in consultation with some key healthcare leaders... Aren't we so blessed? Who happen to be on our board, uh, we really tapped their wisdom for what we do in the next couple of weeks as a church. Uh, Dr. Rick Krejci is right over here, and uh, Rick goes to our Cactus Campus, and Rick is the Market Medical Director for Iora Health. Uh, Dr. Keith Frey is on the end over there. He's going to be praying here in a minute. Keith is the Chairman of our Elders, and he's the Chief Physician Executive and Dignity Health Arizona President for Dignity. Dignity Health, St. Joe's and those hospitals and then he's not here because he's teaching a class on campus today is Dr. Rick Gray and, and Dr. Gray is the CEO of Mayo Clinic here in Arizona. So we got a lot of healthcare horsepower on our board at this time and we tapped them to talk about you know what is it that we need to do next. And I'm gonna share with you three things that the board unanimously uh, came up with yesterday or decided yesterday, three action steps that we're gonna begin taking Monday, tomorrow, March 16th. The first action step is that all sacramental functions of SBC will continue as planned. Some of you who aren't churchy go, what's a sacramental function? Well, a sacramental function are things like weddings, funerals, memorial services, individual pastoral care appointments, uh, counseling. So anything that's really core to what the church has historically done through thin times and thick we will continue to do as planned uh, here on all of our campuses. That's the first action step. Uh, The second thing is that for the next two weekends, and this is probably the biggest one for all of you who showed up here today, is that for the next two weekends, March 21st and 22nd, which is next weekend, and then March 28th and 29th, the following weekend, we will be conducting our corporate worship services online only. And I'll explain why we're going to do that in a minute, because it was a very hard decision, but we feel that this is exactly what God wants us to do. And our hope is, is, that as we stream our services in a much, in even a more heightened way than we usually do, we're putting a lot into this, that you can participate as a small group or invite some friends over, or maybe just you and your family in your living rooms or wherever you are in your homes, and we can all worship together that way just for the next two Weekends. And again, I I will explain why we're doing that in a minute. But the third thing we're doing uh, is that for the next two weeks, this is only for two weeks as of now, we will be hitting the pause button on our on campus group ministry activities on-campus group ministry activities. So they would be things like Awana for the children, the teen ministry, men's and women's groups, the things that you guys are involved in with the following caveats. The first caveat is that our cafe will remain open in their normal hours for any individuals or small groups that want to continue to meet. In other words, the campuses will remain open pastors will be here they'll be available to counsel and meet any needs that you have we're not shutting down i hate that phrase the church never shuts down what we're doing and i'll share with you why in just a second is pausing our regular on-campus group ministry activities please hear this off-campus bible studies and small groups as your health is okay we encourage you to continue to meet We have over 300 off-campus groups that meet in homes and other places around the community. Uh, The only key thing that the elders ask in light of that, and you guys got to hear this, is that if you have any known exposure to this virus or if you're showing any symptoms at all, please be selfless and stay home. Uh, That's the best advice any healthcare worker can give you is that this is a very catchy virus. It's got a much higher fatality rate than the flu. Uh, It's at 3% of people, and especially for the most vulnerable in our population, we're not overreacting by saying we're trying to stem the tide of this. So let me recap the three action steps for the next two weeks. One, all sacramental functions continue. Two, uh, we will be offering online worship only for the next two weekends as we finish out this series, and then we're hitting the pause button on our on-campus group ministry activities, but the campuses will still remain open open. Now, I know how you guys think, because many of you think like me, you're fallen. You're thinking right now that these are drastic steps given our current situation. And many of you here today and at our other campuses and venues are going to be thinking that because you're here today and that says something. And what you need to know is that I have wrestled intensely with this issue. Now, when I first heard that churches, you know, would be uh, uh, pausing some of their worship and other activities, I thought that was absolutely ridiculous. But the more that we have prayed about it and and even looked into the rationale behind this that I'm going to share right now, the more that the elders unanimously said, this is what we need to do in the short term. And the reason is simple. That our healthcare experts have told us that this virus is is, is much more unique than the flu and other viruses, and that is that it is transmitted, it's much more catchy, it has a higher fatality rate, we need to stem the tide of this, and that the larger the group, so large and medium-sized groups, present a much higher risk to the population. That just about everybody agrees upon. And and so what we're trying to do as a church, and we feel this is God-led, is to do our part as a church while still being the church uh, in trying to help stem the tide uh, of this virus and we feel that is what God wants us to do. I thought about this a lot theologically. Here's what some of you need to know uh, that in the first three centuries of the Christian church so back in 100, 200, 300 AD this is how they functioned as a church. Some of you know that. They didn't have large worship centers. They didn't have large buildings. They didn't have multiple campuses. We're just incredibly blessed in our culture today. No, they met from home to home. They met in catacombs and caves. We don't have to do that in light of this virus. And they did so. And they were the church as they did that. Amen. God showed up. In those small group settings, which is why we have said we're still going to meet together. It's just that we're going to do the worship services for a couple of weeks streaming to see if we can get this thing to settle down. And we're still going to meet in small groups as God leads you. Interesting factoid, when the church met like that for three centuries, God exploded the gospel on the scene. Did you know that? He took the gospel from a small group of people in the Middle East and, and, and like wildfire it went across Asia Minor into Europe. Eventually reading by, getting by Augustine's time all the way to the UK, to Britain as it is in our modern day. And so God does his best work in these trying times. We're not giving in. We're just trying to be adaptive to the culture that we live in. So we hope over the next couple of weeks that as we continue as the church that we will serve our community And some of you might be tapped by us to help with that. We are still going to engage in regular worship and prayer and teaching of the word. And as I just taught you guys, I hope we practice loving one, the love one person in your life. One of our elders, Dave Cotter, gave us a theme verse in our meeting yesterday, a proverb that I I had not seen over the years, which is rare and embarrassing. It's Proverbs 22, verse 3, and it's now my new favorite. Here's what it says. A prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. So what you need to know is that your elders have simply tried to be prudent and take precautions and we feel this is the best course in the short term. And we're gonna keep you posted via email as well as other online resources on any further plans. Again, it's a moving target. So this is where we feel God has us right now. So as we wrap up and go to prayer, what do I need from each of you uh, in the next few weeks? Three things. First, I need you to pray. Pray. I need you to pray for our community and for our church. And you're saying pray for what? I got that. I want you to pray for God's protection and his provision. Amen? His protection, especially upon the more vulnerable in our population and in our church, and his provision for all of us. I hear we're running out of toilet paper, so I need you to pray for God's provision. Secondly, I need you to trust in God. Psalm 28, verse 7 says this, The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts, and I am helped. My heart exalts, and with my song I give thanks to him. So again, you and I, we're not people who run to the hills or who are afraid or see doomsday, anything like that. We know that God's got this, amen? And we're going to trust in him. Third, so I need you to pray, trust, I need you to love. 1 John 4:18 gives us the recipe for fear. Have you ever read it? It says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. So as we love each other, stay engaged with each other uh, and with our community, man, that kind of love can dissipate the fear that is out there. God's got this. He's not surprised by this. He's not worrying about it. He has you. He has this. And Rustin today is going to give us a message uh, on give us today our daily bread that I heard last night and it, it's timely and it's potent and it's meaningful for all that we're going through today I mean talk about God's timing so today is the national day of prayer for the COVID-19 virus and for our country I'm going to ask Dr. Keith Frey who's a chairman of our board as we enter into our time in the word to pray for all of us right now so thank you Dr. Frey
1: thank you pastor Will you uh, pray with me?
0: Uh, Lord, as your children come together in our multiple
1: campuses and venues and online, we are your children. And as, uh, as we've been worshiping this morning and reminded that you are a way maker, a promise keeper, and a miracle worker, Lord. And in this series, we've been reminded that you're our Father, Abba, and we can call out to you in times of trouble. So, Lord, we come together and ask for your wisdom, your blessing, and as Jamie mentioned, your protection and your provision over your children. Lord, you're a good God. Remind us during these times of uncertainty in our own souls, perhaps anxiety, and certainly the chaos that seems to swirl in the culture around us, that it is good with our souls, that our anchor is in you, And let us be that salt and light in an uncertain time and an uncertain culture that we might be wise, prudent, careful, and yet shine your love to those around us. Lord, for such a time as this, you're looking to your church, your people to be on display. We know that you are immutable. You're the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And for that, We give you thanks, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Church, it's really fun. I get to
2: sit in uh, on our elder meetings as part of our executive leadership team, and uh, I can just tell you to sit there and to watch these men yesterday kind of go through uh, best decision for our church. Uh, We should all be extremely grateful for the wisdom and humility that they bring uh, to the leadership uh, every single time they get together. So would you appreciate them just one more time as we get started? (laughs) gathered together all of our campuses now via video. It is uh, wonderful to be together. And uh, most of you don't know this because the way that our sermon series come together is a bit of a mystery to you. Uh, Jamie goes away and he kind of researches during the summer and he pulls together kind of the plan for the year. And so uh, it is not too much to say. It's not hyperbolic to say that this sermon has been planned kind of in theory uh, for six months. And so if someone were to say, and this is what's kind of fun, hey, Rustin, I want you to imagine a time where the world is really in a place of panic and fear in many places, you've got one verse that you can preach, what would you pick? Uh, not for effect, I'm telling you, this would be the verse I would go to. So the Lord was kind of ahead of us on the fact that on this Sunday, uh, I got the opportunity to address the church and to talk through a verse that is just so near and dear to my heart, has meant a lot to me in many of my journeys in life. And so to get to come together today and to share from Matthew 6, Matthew uh, Verse 11 on daily bread is really a sweet thing. I want to start with a story that I think will put us in kind of the right place and understanding for where we're going to go today. It's a story about a wealthy man. Man had a son. For most of the son's life, the father had had this incredible fortune, one that he had amassed through years of hard work and incredible success. And so the son had become very used to the father lavishing gifts upon him. He would kind of find occasions, some big, some small, to just display incredible generosity and provision for this son. So the son had come to a point where he was no longer little, but was now a young man and was coming to his college graduation. As the son sat there, he kind of knew this was an occasion, a big occasion, maybe one that would kind of solicit a big gift. So he was searching and looking and kind of trying to figure out where am I going to go? What am I going to get? And as he was kind of leaving a facility one day where he was hanging out, he, he walked past a car dealership. He looked in, and through the window, kind of there in the center, was this beautiful, exotic sports car. It was a big gift, but it was well within the means of what the father could provide for the son. So the son kinda got the information, wrote it down, got the salesman's card, and as we've probably all done at some point, just put a subtle hint in front of the father and went, hey, just an idea, Dad, you know, just thinking this is something that might be a good idea for an upcoming graduation. The weeks turned into days as it closed in on graduation day. The ceremony took place, and the son came back to the house. He was waiting for that all-familiar sound that he'd heard so many times before, and it came. He was summoned to his father's study, As he walked into the room, he was kind of overwhelmed by how much had taken place in this room over the years. It was a place where he had had wisdom and life lessons, as well as many extravagant gifts passed his way from across his father's desk, one to the other. As the son sat there, he kind of uh, enjoyed his father's smile, and what he could see was an excitement in the father's face, and the father kind of reached into his all-familiar desk drawer and brought out a beautifully wrapped package a little bigger than the son had thought, but as he set it down in front of him, the excitement and anticipation of what was inside of it was overwhelming to him. He took it and he tore into it, opened it up and just sat there and looked and and the father watched as the box was now open as the son's face went from excitement and anticipation and his face started to drop and the son went from excitement to confusion to frustration to what could only be described as a rage son pulled out, instead of what he thought was going to be keys to a car, he pulled out a book. So frustrated, he he couldn't contain himself. In his immaturity and foolishness, he took the book and just set it down and all he could think to scream at his father in the midst of his anger was, with all that you have at your disposal, this is what you gave me when you knew what I really wanted the most. See, problem with this particular time in his life was this was supposed to be his last day in his father's house. He was moving out after college graduation to go pursue a new job and new endeavors, and so his bags were already packed. He stormed upstairs to his room in frustration, grabbed his bags, came down the stairs, and without even so much as a glance, left his father's house for the very last time. Years went by, months, years, turned into decades, and the son was very successful, he had his father's Midas touch in business. He became wildly wealthy, amassing a huge fortune of his own due to his success in business. He was interrupted one day during his normal routine by a telegram. The telegram was very simple, just read, your father has passed. You will inherit everything. You need to come back to the family estate to settle up. He was immediately overwhelmed something that had only at him in part through the years, a regret and a grief, a sorrow that this relationship that had been so life-giving for so long was now past, was gone. As he took the journey home, which was lengthy, the closer he got to the house, the more it overwhelmed him, this sorrow and this regret. It was almost uh, uncontrollable as he started to cry walking through the front door and he came to that all-familiar room. He sat there and he looked at this place that had been a place of great relationship, wisdom, and wealth. He looked at the desk where his father had sat and instead of sitting in the chair that he was familiar with, he came around the desk to where his father sat, plopping himself down into his father's all-familiar desk chair. He sat there and started opening drawers, going through his father's things and he got to something that was very familiar to him. It was a book. It was the book that his father had given him. It was the last thing that he had held when he sat in this room. He thought to himself something that hadn't occurred to him on that day so many years ago. What is it that my father thought would be good for me? could be contained in the pages of this book. He started going through it. He was confused. Nothing in the book really seemed to strike him for the first couple of pages, 10 pages. He got a couple of dozen pages in. and As he flipped one of the pages, he found something incredible. The book had been carved out. There was a hole in it. Hm. Within the book were keys, keys to a car. A car that hadn't been sold. It had been kept all those years. Those keys were still sitting there. On the keys was a tag, was an inscription from his father. It was decades old now, and it said this. With love for my precious son, who made me so proud. (laughs) It's a fictitious story. May have happened. But the reality is, it's extreme to make a very specific point. One that I think is so good for all of us today, because we, in so many cases, can be like that spoiled son when we come to the Lord. We can come to God so sure of what is best for us when we ask him for provision. We can come to God and we can sit there and go, I know what I need. I need this, and so God, here's what my daily bread looks like. Will you please provide it for me? We can come to God sure of what is best for our lives. We're at this great little section of the book of Matthew. It's referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. Kevin and I actually spent six weeks in it. Uh, last summer, and we honed in on one specific idea. We honed in on the idea that heart condition is what Jesus is talking about. And so today, what I want to talk about is the heart condition that's required to truly receive provision from the Lord. Would you pray with me? God, this is a really weighty topic. Anytime we get below the surface of our circumstances, We start to get to the heart conditions that are required to truly see you and hear you, to receive from you and to give to kingdom work. It really starts to get heavy. It goes beyond our behaviors and it starts to go to our hearts and that is where our challenges lie. Our battle's not circumstances or flesh and blood, it's heart conditions and spiritual realities. God, today as you and I have wrestled for a week putting this together, my prayer is that you would meet all of us as we come into this, that you would instruct us, you would give us great revelation as you speak to our hearts, knowing that nothing I can say can transact spiritual realities, but you are the one who will have to meet us at a heart level. God, I give this message to you. I pray that you would continue to minister to all of us, myself included. We pray this in your name, amen. All right, so we're gonna do this. We're gonna read our verse, six words, so it won't take long, but Matthew six eleven says, "'Give us today our daily bread.'" all right? Give us today our daily bread. Oh, here's the thing. We got to know this. There's two things I want you to know coming into it. One of them's historical and one of them's kind of a modern reality. The historical aspect is that when scholars study the scriptures, here's what they do. They go back to the times where the scriptures were written, whatever that is, because it spans a great time in its writing, and they sort of start to look for literary context. And what that means is Today's passage was kind of acted out and then written in the first century and then kind of written over the next couple hundred years. But here's the reality. They look to other literary sources to go, what was going on in the culture, in literature at the time? So that they can say, all right, is the Bible picking up up on something that was going on in the world at the time? Is this sort of a universally understood idea based on its context uh, in in the culture? The problem is that scholars are a little confused as to exactly where this phrase, daily bread, comes from because they don't see it anywhere else except in the Bible. This idea of coming to a theistic figure for a daily sustenance and knowing that we continue to come back every day is something that is only picked up in kind of one other place. It's the Jewish prayers. It's the Old Testament Uh, The Jewish prayers go like this, in the morning you come and you pray for the day's bread, in the evening you come and you pray for tomorrow's bread. It's the idea of God continuing to show up day by day. That's one thing I want us to understand is there's not really another place where certainly like Greek mythology, the whole concept is this, the gods are busy, don't bother them, they'll let you know if they need you. The God of the Bible has a very different approach that says, come to me. At times, even in different parts where we're taught on prayer, burden me. Knock and knock and knock. I want to hear from you. The other thing I think we need to understand is this. The first century didn't think about bread the way we do today, okay? There was no Atkins awareness in the first century, all right? Nobody sat back and went, gosh, That sounds really good. I would love to have a loaf of bread right now, but carbs are the enemy and I'm kind of trying to keep it tight. That's not a thing. As a matter of fact, the way that we think about bread today is as a bit of an indulgence. It's as one of those things that you kind of go, hey, that sounds really good, but I probably shouldn't, which puts bread in this category, a delicacy, kind of one of those over and above and beyonds, a bit of an indulgence. That allows us to read this verse this way. Give us today our daily desires. That's not what it's saying. In a first century diet, what you need to know is that meat was scarce unless you lived on a coast where you could get to fish. Rarely did they ever eat beef. It was an absolutely over-the-top big deal, and they weren't into pigs because of the whole split hoof thing, and that wasn't good for Jews. So here's the deal. Most of the diet was Vegetables on a regular basis, and what kept you full was the heavy, satiating presence of bread. So the way this verse would have been read in the first century is this way. Give us today our daily needs. Give us today our absolute essentials to survive, because that's what bread was. It was essential to the diet. It's not a request, it's not an indulgence, it's give us today our daily needs. Here's what I wanna talk about today, just two simple things, the two Ps of this part of the Lord's Prayer. I wanna talk about provision, and I wanna talk about patience. You can't get around the fact that when you read this, give us today, there's a transition in the Lord's Prayer at this point, it's not talking about the reality of who God is anymore, it's the first place in the Lord's Prayer where we come and we ask for something. And here's what we need to remember. Jesus is teaching us how to approach him. He's saying, When you come to me, come this way. Ask. Ask for things. And what I want to challenge us with today is what should we be asking for? Because so many times I think we come and we ask for desires and we don't ask with the right heart condition. You guys hear Jamie talk about Larry Crab a lot. He's a mentor of our senior pastor. And so Larry is an incredible guy. I got to spend a week listening to Larry and we went through a school of spiritual direction as a pastoral staff. So we went up to Sedona and Larry taught us for a week. It was an unbelievable privilege. Larry teaches for about eight hours a day and I have the attention span of a gnat. So it was a long week for me. But in the midst of hearing Larry teach and he was brilliant, I pulled away one really predominant thing. And again, it's not too much for me to say that this has genuinely changed My life and the way I think about the circumstances in it. I want you to take a look at this. This is what Larry says. Larry says, Don't cling to promises God never made. Don't do that. Here's what I started to realize Larry said that in one of our meetings, and it messed me up for the next like three or four days because I started looking at my life and going, Did God promise you that? That's a tough question to ask, church. When you start asking yourself whether or not God promised you some of the things that you desire most in your life, you start to realize, yikes, I may not be do that. But we're all really good at hermeneutical gymnastics. That's where you take the Bible and you sort of start doing some backflips to get it to say what you want, Pastors are brilliant at this, okay? So you can take verses and sit down and go, well, he kind of said this, which sort of means this, which sort of, and by the time you're your third or fourth iteration out, you've kind of turned something that God never promised into something that you feel you deserve. Here's the challenge. So many times when we look at the Lord's Prayer and we're asking for daily bread, it's because we've experienced something. We've experienced the fallenness of the world, God set up a great thing. He said, hey, listen, here's the way the world's supposed to be. It was the garden. It was this beautiful, highly relational, incredibly interactive experience where he was the God and we were his people. We sort of walked away from that thing and the fall occurred. And the world's been in this decay and decomposition for so long. What happens to us as humankind is we start to experience the fall, our own sin, which hurts us, as well as the sinfulness of others, which hurts us. And when we experience the fall, we start to ask God to provide for us. Lord, I'm going to need some more bread because this part really hurts. Can you, and what you start to realize is, we start to ask God over and over again to protect us from the fall. Here's what it sounds like. God, why did you let this thing happen to me? Anybody ever made that statement? We all have at different times in our lives. We want God to protect us from the effects of the fall, but here's a huge point from my life that really hurts but is super true. God never promised to protect us from the fall. He promised to restore us from it. He sat there and watched us walk away from a perfect plan in the midst of our sinful nature, and instead of going, I created the plan, it was perfect and beautiful, you guys walked away from it, you're on your own. He loved us so much that he came back into the plan at high cost to himself and no cost to us and said, I'm going to sit with you in the mess, but I can't protect you from the effects of the mess. That's yours. The beauty of what I'll do with you over and over again is when the mess has affected you, when you get muddy from this disaster, I will continue to wash you off. I will continue to restore you. You will have a choice to come to me in those moments and allow me to make the wrongs right in your life. I will restore you from its effects, but you will feel the effects of the fallen world. So many times we get so mad at God because the world and its sinfulness is affecting us and it's a promise that we cling to sometimes that he never made. Here's a promise you can count on. I'll use my life as an example. You can count on God to fulfill his purposes. The biggest problem we have as human beings is sometimes we just don't trust that his purposes are best for us. I've had plenty of times in my life where I've sat there, and to stick with our opening analogy, I really want the sports car. God, could you just give me this thing? Could you give me this thing? Could you give me this thing? And the problem is that if that thing is going to enable me staying in a place that God doesn't want me, he will withhold that thing. Because this place that I'm staying isn't good for me in my life. This thing that I'm doing This heart condition that I kind of say, I don't want to change. Why don't you bend your will to me? How selfish does that sound? I'll say it about myself. But do you ever feel that in your life? You want God to bend his will to yours and not your will to his. And so what will happen is the Lord will withhold something because what he wants is for me to walk into a new direction in my life that will yield a harvest of fruit once I get to that new place. He wants me to grow. He wants me to change. He wants my heart to look different so that I don't sit there and say, I'm okay because this is present, but I say, I'm okay because you're here. You're leading, you're guiding, and you're providing for me in a new way. You see, in order for us to receive God's provision, we have to have the right perspective Happens so much in my job on a regular basis. Uh, Some of you have calendars and they sort of dictate your days and you kind of know you're gonna walk into meetings. Here's our agenda for this meeting. I'm the one running the meeting. Boom, 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 boom. I'm gonna basically be able to go through my day and this is what's gonna happen. A lot of my day is meeting with y'all and you guys don't come with cue cards, So I don't get to sit down and when somebody shows up with a problem, I sit there and I go, okay, uh, so and so, Jeff's gonna show up. Looks like Jeff's about 44 years old. He's married with two kids. He's got these character defects. Here's the spiritual maladies that are below the surface. If I say these three things, he'll be solved. You guys don't come with that. So if you ever see me in a restaurant and I'm alone, I'm either catching a few quiet moments or I am sitting there and praying for whoever God is about to put in front of me that's on my calendar, I just have no idea what happens. I have an amazing administrative assistant who sits there and just kind of puts people on my calendar when they email in. I don't know anything about their lives. So they show up and they're like, here's what I wanted to talk to you about. Most people don't wanna tell somebody over email what hurts. And so they'll sit down and they'll start telling me the story and I have to sit there and just ask the Lord, Lord, is this a day where I'm gonna sit and listen and encourage or do you have a powerful truth that you wanna relay and if so, what is it? Because I have no idea, I can't prep for these things. I was meeting with a guy a while ago And as we were sitting there, uh, there's challenging times where I have to look at people and ask the tough question, uh, what if God kept your circumstances the same but changed your perspective? And it's really hard. Uh, We were sitting there and uh, this guy showed up to breakfast, and I know him, it was a while back. But as we talked, uh, he kinda started to share a little bit of what was going on. He was going through some really intense betrayal in his business. And it was gonna cost him a lot, a lot of money more money than I'll probably see in my entire life. And so we sat there and we started to talk. I'm just listening for the Lord. Hey Lord, what is it that you wanna share? What is it that you want me to do? Is today just a day where I listen and encourage? Yes, this is hard, but you're doing a great job with a hard thing. I'm with you, how can I pray for you? But he said something at one point and it scared me a little bit for my friend. He started to describe how um, he was really glad that this had happened. It was a brilliant, beautiful, faithful perspective. You know, Rustin, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that this thing happened because had this circumstance not happened, it wouldn't have revealed these men's hearts. And so now it's gonna be great because I'm gonna get out of some of these future deals and there's still gonna be a chunk of money that's gonna come through six or eight months from now. And so everything's gonna be all right. That scared me. You know why it scared me? Because uh, he was basically saying, it's okay that this bad thing happened because something good was gonna happen out of it. What if that good thing never came? What he was saying is, I can see what God's doing. God did this so that this would happen, so that this would happen. He was sort of running the outcomes and kind of running the equation out in such a way where he went, I know what's coming. I got it. This is gonna come through and it's gonna click this domino and this domino and it's all gonna be fine. The problem was he was in the outcome side of the equation and God's the only one who works on the outcomes. I sat there and kind of waited out with the Lord and just asked for wisdom because it bothered me, but I didn't totally know what to say. And then the Lord kind of gave me some words that were helpful. Very lovingly, and He's so teachable and so humble. As I sat there and just talked to my friend, I said, Can I challenge you with something? And He goes, Absolutely, that's why I'm here. I said, What if uh, these guys can continue to deal with you as worthlessly in the future as they have in the past? What if that chunk of money never comes through that tips off this and this and this? What if the good that makes all the bad worthwhile never happens? And I said, brother, what if we were to do something different? What if we were to go deeper? What if we were to submit the plan and all of its outcomes to the Lord and we were to take this whole mess and go, Lord, here you go. I give this whole thing to you. And let's spend whatever the next six or eight months are, me journeying with you and us praying and continuously giving this to the Lord so that whether that money comes through or not, you are going to be okay and the Lord has already done the work to prepare your heart for the days that are coming. Because it may not come through. Are you still, is God still good if that doesn't come through? You see, the problem for my friend was, and he sat there and he went, wow, yeah, let's do that because his faith in the moment was based in part on an outcome and not on the fact that God was good regardless of whether the money came through or not. Here's my challenge to all of us today. What's our faith in? What's your faith in? This is a scary time for the world right now. People are panicking. Garages are filled with toilet paper. We got to figure that out, right? There'll be a lot of toilet paper stuffed in garages when this thing's over. What's your faith in? Is it in God's sovereign hand or is it in your ability to provide safety for yourself? One of those is really reliable. The other one has failed you numerous times in your life. Now here's what I'm not saying. Don't be a cowboy about this. Just like Jamie taught us in the opening address, there's wisdom and prudence in acting and being smart right now. But what I want to delineate between today is the physical reality of being smart and the spiritual reality of living in fear for the rest of however long this thing is and whatever other ones may show up. The physical reality says, be prudent, be smart, do the wise things to continue to stave off the spread of COVID-19. But there's a spiritual reality that your heart is experiencing. And if you're doing the smart things, but it's still not enough, and still not enough, and still not enough, and you can't ever do enough to be at peace, your heart is living in fear and anxiety. And I'm telling you today, the enemy is loving that. You've lost the spiritual battle, and you're trying to win it in the physical realm. That ain't never gonna work. The reality is that we have to come in and guard our hearts against the fear and the anxiety that the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants your peace. He wants your well-being. He wants all of the things that put you in God's hand and saying, my heart is at peace even though the circumstances are weird. Most people aren't scared of COVID-19. You know what they're scared of? Everybody else being afraid. The reality is this. Guarding your heart will affect your spiritual, your physical reality. Do the smart thing and don't be scared. Don't give your heart away to fear. That's what the enemy wants. So we gotta ask the question, are we smarter or are we scared? They can sometimes get commingled. I wanna talk now and I wanna shift gears into patience. For us to truly receive the needed provisions from God for today, we need to be patient enough to stay in our day and use today's bread today. Can't use today's bread for other things. The Bible tells us his mercies are new every morning. Let's interpret that into today's passage. You get more bread tomorrow. Tomorrow, you'll get more bread. And you won't just get more bread, you'll get specific bread. You'll get the bread that you need to get through your day. I work with a lot of addicts in a lot of different places. Do you know what I tell them? Hey, um, if all you knew was that your life was gonna end at midnight tonight, could you get through your day? Well, yeah, I could. Okay. Like, you'd have enough patience, you'd have enough grace, you'd have enough self-control to abstain from your addiction, you could do that? Well, yeah, I mean, you just, I mean, it's like, you know, four o'clock in the afternoon, so you could make it the rest of the way to midnight? Yeah, oh, yeah, I could totally do that. Okay, that's actually all you're asked to do. Just take it a day at a time. You see, anxiety is what occurs when we start getting outside of our day. Here's what it looks like, specific to our verse. Daily bread given to tomorrow creates anxiety. Daily bread given to tomorrow creates anxiety. If you're standing there and you got your daily bread, you got your little pot of bread, God's given it to you, it's specific to your day. And you start taking it and you start going, oh, I'm gonna put a little bit of that in tomorrow, a little bit in next week, next month, next year. Here's the problem. You've taken all the problems of the next year and you're trying to solve them on today's bread. You don't have enough bread for that. And then you sit there and you go, God, my pot's empty and it's two in the afternoon. You promised me enough bread for today. And he goes, I gave it to you. You squandered it on the future. Give your tomorrows to me. I'll have bread for every one of those days. Just stay in your day and use today's bread today and you'll be okay. You see, folks, that's how you get on top of COVID-19. That's how you get on top of the coronavirus. You take it today and you just do coronavirus today. And then tomorrow, you got a whole new batch of bread, a whole new batch of mercies to be able to get through tomorrow and the next day. But if you're sitting there with your kids in your house going, what about, what about, what about, what about? Be smart and stop being scared. Protect your spiritual reality and know that God has your tomorrows. He is going to provide for you. He has provided for his people from the beginning of time. The beautiful thing about today's verse, it actually falls right in the middle of a biblical narrative that God has provided for his people from the beginning. Watch this, Exodus 16, Moses is sitting there. He's got the Israelites in the desert and the Israelites are complaining. People ask us sometimes, how do you deal with all the church people's complaining? God's people have been complaining since Exodus. We're just used to it, all right? That's what it looks like to be a leader of God's people. So we're sitting there and Moses is going, all right, here's the deal. They're hungry, they're freaking out. They don't have food. And he goes, all right, here's from the Lord. He shows up. He goes, Israel, here's the thing. God's gonna do this deal called manna. It's gonna show up in the morning. It's gonna look like snow. You can eat it. So just go out and gather an omer. Omer was a measurement at the time. One omer per person per tent. So God's people trusted God about as well then as we do now. And some of them went, you know what? I'm pretty good at providing for me. I'm not sure God's gonna show up. So they would gather more than they were supposed to. They didn't trust the bread for today and that more would show up tomorrow. So they would take it back to their tent. They would eat what they had for today and then they would stash the rest. You know what happened? It bred, worms, and stank. That's what happens. So when we don't trust God, does that sound familiar? Anyone ever start to get a little gross and a little stinky when you don't trust the Lord because your provision isn't as good as his? Beautiful, beautiful picture of what happens to the human heart. It was just a physical analogy that made it happen and made it work. See, God was trying to give the message to Israel I'll show up again tomorrow, and again tomorrow, and again tomorrow. I will be here every day to provide for you. That was the message that he had in Exodus. Fast forward, Matthew 6. What's the message for today? It's the same message Give us today our bread, and I'll be here tomorrow, and tomorrow, and tomorrow. You wanna see something cool? I found this this week. It kind of completed the picture for me. Let's take a look at Revelation 2, 17. This is the end of the story. We're in Revelation. This is to John on the island of Patmos and he's sitting there and Jesus is saying to John through Revelation from heaven, here's what this looks like now. This is the rest of the story. This is eternity. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will give him bread into eternity. What's the message? The message is exactly what we read in Hebrews thirteen let Let's look at that. The message is Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let me interpret that into what we just talked about. Jesus Christ is the same in Exodus, in Matthew, and in Revelation and through eternity. You see, in the midst of a world that is shaking and freaking out right now, There is a God who is standing there and is unchanging. He hasn't gone anywhere. He has the same desire from the beginning of time, and that desire is to step in and just get his people to pay attention to him for their needs and not be upset about their wants. He has been standing there as the ongoing constant in the lives of every one of his kids with the same message, I am here, I love you, I've got you, and my will will be done. One of the most beautiful things I get to say today is this. The reason you don't see this concept in any other scripture, in any other secular literature of any time in the existence of human beings is because no other theistic figure has ever existed in the history of the cosmos that can write that check and cash it. Jesus Christ is the only one who has ever stepped in and loved humanity enough to come at his own cost and to provide for you and for me for all of eternity because he's the only one who's never changed. And it is best for us. I wanna conclude with two quotes today. One of them's super boring and you would never read this book. The other one means the world to me, but I'm gonna read them both anyway. One of them's from a commentary that's like a doorstop. It's like this thick on the book of Matthew, but it's wonderful. Here's how it reads, and they're gonna throw it up on the screen for us. It says this. It says, this is a prayer reflecting total God dependence. Uh, When most pray it, they think, gimme, gimme, gimme. But this petition actually means I rely on you for my daily needs. Moreover, it reflects an attitude that takes one day at a time reflecting the first century day laborer who was paid one day at a time. The point is trusting God for each day's need, reflecting faith as being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see, which is Hebrews 11. With God in charge, each day is taken care of. You see, with that understanding as a wonderful little bookend to what we've talked about today, you recognize this is not just a petition of coming to God and asking him for what you need. It is the beautiful declaration that I'm not coming to myself anymore. I'm not coming to the world to make me happy. You see, Lord, I don't want what I want. I want what I need And I'm not sitting there saying, okay, Lord, be with you in a minute. This prayer is a declaration where we come to God and say, I'm coming to you, Jesus. And I trust you to provide what my soul is hungry for, not necessarily what my flesh is crying out for. I'll let my flesh cry for a little while longer. Will you take care of my soul? I can't talk about this passage without letting you guys in on a little bit of my journey And where I've learned this principle most profoundly, which is in a program of recovery is I've continued to walk through alcoholism. You see, I was taught early on through uh, Alcoholics Anonymous that I needed to take this one day at a time. The idea when I first got sober of never drinking again was more than I could wrap my brain around. I was an all-day, everyday drinker at 27 years old. But when someone sat down and did what I just did a minute ago and said, could you just not drink today? I went, huh, what a novel idea. I'm gonna read you an excerpt from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, it's on page 85 of the first you know, 160 pages, uh, 164 pages, which is kind of a big deal for those of you who are in the program, you understand that. But in this whole deal, it lays out the plan of how we get and stay sober. So at this point, what the big book is describing is somebody who's walked through some of the steps and is starting to practice a decent spiritual program, a pursuit of God as they understand him. So for me, that's very much Jesus Christ, and as I continued in my program, here's what I'll tell you. It talks about this, like at this point in your sobriety, things are going okay, Uh, you're not in as much pain as when you walked in the first doors, and that's a terrifying place to be if you're trying to stay sober. Because typically, pain has been the biggest motivator in my life, and so when I'm in pain, I tend to do better. When all of a sudden things are going good, you start to get scared, you're gonna do it on your own. And this is what this book has to say, and I'm gonna reinterpret it for all of us after I get done reading it. It says this, it is easy to let up on the spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. We are headed for trouble if we do so, for alcohol is a subtle foe. We are not cured of alcoholism. What we really have is a daily reprieve contingent upon the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Every day is a day when we must carry the vision of God's will into, our, into all of our activities. How can I best serve thee? Thy will, not mine, be done. These are the thoughts which must go with us constantly. We can exercise our willpower along this line, all we wish. It is the proper use of the will. Beautifully written words. Now, here's what's super fun. Uh, people have walked me through this, and I had a buddy of mine call me and say, you know, when that... Uh, when I walked through that part of the book with my sponsor the first time, he had me put my name in front of it. And he had me read it back through. I wanna sub out one word, alcoholism, and I wanna insert another word that I think we can all relate to, sin. And I want you to just stick with me as I reread this and I'll read it in first person for myself. Rustin, we are not cured of sin. What you have really is a daily reprieve contingent upon the maintenance of your spiritual condition. Every day is a day when you must carry the vision of God's will into all your activities, asking how can I best serve thee? You see, church, you don't need to be an alcoholic today. What you need to do is have a personal understanding of the fact that you cannot make it through a day without God you need to be willing to say that you have a daily reprieve of your sin contingent upon your spiritual condition. I'm not saying that your sin isn't paid for on the cross. That's a done deal if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. What I'm saying is that the effects of that sin you can still choose to participate in on a daily basis. And the degree to which you are affected by your character defects and your spiritual malady are contingent upon how closely you are clinging to Christ because he is the one who will continue to make you look more like him He is the one who will continue to recraft your life and recraft mine so that I look more like Jesus and less like Rustin. That is the beauty of what he's offering us in daily bread. I think what we need to do is look at our lives, and this is so hard for us. Many of us have enough in the bank and enough in our pantries, toilet paper included, to be able to sit there and do this. I got enough for this week, this month, this year. In some cases, some of us have enough in the bank for multiple lifetimes, But that ain't how your spiritual life works. You don't have a spiritual savings account. You are a day laborer just like me in desperate need of coming to Christ every single day to be provided for, to be able to overcome whatever your spiritual maladies are, anger, pride, pornography, lust, whatever you're dealing with. You have a daily reprieve where God is saying, I have bread for you today. It's specific bread, it's enough bread, but if you start getting into your Monday, your Tuesday, or your Wednesday of next week, your bread ain't gonna last that long. You gotta come back to me every day to provide for you because that's how I work with my people and it's best. There's a reason I didn't dole out weekly, monthly, or annual bread. I love you too much. I wanna be with you. Don't just take what you need and then go try and do it on your own. I want to walk with you. Church, can we be spiritual day laborers? Can we recognize that we have a daily reprieve and we get, not have to, get to come back to Jesus Christ every day to get more? And those exchanges are generous and delightful. You see, he'll lead us and guide us through this life He wants to be with us and if we do it the right way, coming to him both in petition as well as declaration, we come to see this. We come to be sure of what we hope for. We come to be certain of what we do not see. Will you pray with me? Uh, Lord, this is a challenging passage as we sit down and we start to walk through the difficulty of having to truly surrender all of our hopes and desires. Having to sit there and wrestle through these realities is painful and difficult at times. It has us sitting there saying, Lord, forget what I want. I'll accept what I need. I'll allow you, I'll trust what your hand gives and I'll say thank you. Even when books shows, show up instead of car keys. Even when a deliverance from a circumstance is what I desire most and what you give me is a new perspective even when I scream and scream and scream for the rain to stop, but you hand me an umbrella. Father, my prayer for all of us, as this is heavy lifting in our spiritual lives, is that you continue to craft our hearts, surprise us with the work that you're doing, that even when we sit back and we don't feel you working, we don't see you working, we know that you're working. We trust you for our daily bread and we love you. We say this in your name, amen.